0: To uh, the teaching this morning, I want to introduce myself. Um, If you're a first time guest here with us, my name is Casey, one of the staff pastors here. And as I like to say, whatever your life is like, whatever your week is like, whatever you look like, whether you believe what we believe or you disagree, uh, you are welcome in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're glad you're here with us this morning. Here at Resonate, we exist to disciple families, to love God, live whole, and to develop their gifts to lead out. And, uh, We are excited this morning to have a new member of our church, uh, Ben Watts and his family here. He's going to be bringing the teaching and blessing us. And before he does that, many of you have uh, heard or known our pastor, our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Sparkman and his wife, Sarah, have just welcomed their fourth baby into the world. And so they are currently, yes, healthy and happy and exhausted. Amen. (laughs) Amen. But they're going to be on leave for the next few weeks, but continue to pray for them, uh, give them words of encouragement when you think of them, and let them know that we we are here for them and, and love them very much. But, uh, but as I invite Ben up to the stage here, he's going to be blessing us. I want to tell you a little bit about him. He and his wife, Katie, pastored in Pensacola, Florida for seven years, and over the last few years here at Resonate, they have come to do seminars um, here at the church teaching on uh, healing and wholeness through a nonprofit that they run called freedom of life today and in the last year or so they felt called by god to move here to texas to lucas to be closer to family and to help build god's kingdom here at resonate life and i am so excited to have ben and katie here with us so ben come on up and hey. bless us this morning for hey. the word of god thank you very much thank you
1: i love you casey You know, what I love about this man here is he's an incredible servant. He really is. And there are a lot of you in this family, just church family, that as Katie and I have been closer now on a weekly basis and just watched you serve and give and pour out. And some of you won't even leave the building until everybody has left. Because you're determined to to be here and to be faithful and and to serve and to love on God's people and um, and I like the fact that you knew who Chanticleer was and the Book of the Dun Cow, uh, Walter Wangren. I mean that's just cool. I told Katie years ago. I said I don't think anybody knows about this book when I read it, and uh, and then I was listening on the live stream over across the way with the kids because that's where we are most Sunday mornings. I'm helping Katie. It's a good thing she pays me a lot to be over there and help her. No, we, we uh, heard Pastor Kay- Casey say that the name Chanticleer, and I thought, oh my gosh, 15 years later, somebody knows about this incredible book. All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles... Turn in your Bibles to um, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. I want to talk to you this morning about seed, time, and harvest. I want everybody to say that. Say seed. Seed, Time. time, And harvest. harvest. Let's do that again. Say seed. Seed, time, Time. And harvest. Um, this is how God works. Everything God does is through seed time and harvest. How many of you have a garden? Anybody here have a garden? Right? How many of you grow tomatoes in a pot on your back patio? You got a little piece of a garden. Last time we were here seven years ago in Texas for a couple of years, we lived down in Cedar Hill where I grew up actually, and, uh, my wife and I and our three boys, Katie is my wife, and Jack, John, and Luke are our three boys, and Trinity is our little girl. We hadn't uh, brought her home from the hospital yet, so we just had the boys. But we had hadn't had had a garden up to that point. I don't know if it's bothering you guys. This is ringing just a little bit. Is it me? So if I need to grab a handheld, I can totally do that. Just let me know. Anyways, uh, we had this... Little garden in the back of our house, <clears throat> and the boys thought it was so weird that you would take a little seed and poke it down in the ground, and I think they weren't sure what was going to happen because all they could see was this little seed, this little nothing of a seed. And, you know, sometimes the seeds you put in the ground, they're so small, they just fall right out of your hand. You kind of got to pull them out of the packet, and sometimes you just want to get one, and they're so tiny, you can't help but grab two or three or four. They're so little. But you poke that thing in the ground, and our kids would get their fingers dirty poking that thing in the ground. We'd go down the row. We cover it up with dirt. And then uh, the next day, Dad, where is it? Where are the carrots? Where's the tomatoes, right? <laughs> Where's the green peppers? Where's the jalapenos? Where's the lettuce? Well, it's down there, I promise. We just got to wait a little bit. The next day, Dad, are they here yet? It's kind of like being on a, on a vacation. If you're five miles into your 700-mile journey, Dad, are we there yet? Are we there yet? But if you've had a garden, you know how much work it takes, how long you have to wait, how many questions you have to answer. But the day that that begins to come up, how good it feels. And then you fight off the rabbits And you put seven dust on it, you fight off the mites and all the different things that want to eat it. And the day that we got to make our first salad with fresh lettuce, that how many of you bring lettuce home from the grocery store and it lasts like three days? Well, if you ever grow your own lettuce, it lasts like two or three weeks. It's phenomenal. And then you're like, what What are we getting at the store? This stuff's supposed to last a long time but by the time it gets to the store it's been a long time sometimes and so we made our first salad we had all the stuff on it the kids were so excited and we i think we made salad for for months we had so i had so much food we were sharing it with our neighbors tomatoes and broccoli and all the stuff and i remember the day i was looking out the back window and luke my youngest son just was out playing, and he just looked down at the row of carrots, and he just pulled one out. And he, would, he just thought that was so cool that he could just, didn't have to go to the store, he could just reach in the ground and pull up a carrot and just eat. I thought, yes, he's eating his vegetables. There's something on the inside of us that's really, really deep that just enjoys putting seed in the ground and watching it come up. It's just, it's just therapeutic to go stand in your garden and weed, watch those little plants come up, and then don't you get excited when one little cherry tomato shows up, you're like, whoa, yes, <laughs> hundreds of dollars, and I've got a cherry tomato. Oh, it's so good. But this is, this is the Father. This is the heart of God. In fact, seed, time, and harvest, I'm going to show you this in a minute out of the Scriptures, is the very framework by which all of creation operates. Everything God does, it's not just that we plant a garden with seed, but everything that's living is alive and multiplies because of this framework of seed, time, and harvest. It's an eternal system of government an eternal system of government. God only works through seed, time, and harvest. It's what we love about gardening, but it's also what frustrates us and can disappoint us when we're dealing with God's stuff. Why? Because seeds are really insignificant. They look really small. They don't look like much, and it doesn't seem like much is going to happen when you put it in the ground. And you got to put it in the ground, which means you have to let it go, and it has to get buried, and it has to go away. It has to die. And then it takes a long time, and nobody wants to wait. And there's this thing in the economy of God called being patient and waiting for due time. I remember these last three or four weeks watching my sister, Sarah, (laughs) waiting. For her due time. We thought it was gonna happen what, three weeks ago? She thought it was gonna happen. Anybody here ever thought something was gonna happen sooner than it did? Maybe it's not a a, a natural baby, but you're pregnant with something, a dream, a desire, a promise, a hope. You've got something on the inside, and it's growing, and you're, you, you're incubating life because you've agreed with God. He put something on the inside of you of a seed of Himself, and you said yes to it, and it's growing, but it's not here yet, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're just waiting for some green to poke up from the dirt. Where is it? Oh, I see a little green. Where's the fruit? And we can get... Discouraged. We get impatient and we can even get offended at the Father because of the waiting. In fact, it seems like many times, and I know Sarah felt this way. She was in their their car in the driveway. I mean, it was just a couple days before and then even the day of, and she looked at at her mom, which happens to be my mom as well. And she said, "I, I I'm just—I don't think it's going to happen." <laughs> Sorry, Sarah, if you're watching this, but I, I've just resolved myself that I just may not have this baby. <laughs> it, it may never happen. How many of you have ever? How many of you ladies? You know how she feels. I have no idea, but it, it just may—it just may not happen. And you know, the rest of us are sitting there looking, <laughs> we're going, "Oh yeah, it's going to happen." It's definitely going to happen. One way or another, that's, that has got to come out. But when you're the one incubating and you're the one waiting and you're the one who's up in the middle of the night and that thing's pushing on your bladder and making you wet your pants in public or whatever else, all the, the heartburn, the, the, the sleepless nights and all of that and you still don't have anything to show for it, except swollen ankles. It can be difficult. And this is the part where we struggle with the way that God works. But I want to say this to you, the wisest thing that you and I can do is agree with God. Do you believe that? The wisest thing you can do is agree with God. Because And we'll read this here in a minute, but everything that God promises, every word that comes out of His mouth has to come to pass. It must. When we speak, we're just saying words. It is powerful, but if I say to you, white Ford F-150 pickup, what do you think of? A white truck, right? But if God says, white Ford F-150, what happens? A white Ford F-150 happens. You see, God doesn't just say things to represent ideas. When God speaks, because He speaks with creative power, things manifest. Things happen. So if I say to you, brother, I know that you've had a tough week. Man, just be at peace. I'm praying for you. You think, ah... Ben's being nice. Thank you so much. I, I feel a little bit better. But if the father, what's your name? Josiah. If the father says to Josiah, son, peace, I got it. Do you know what he just did? He did what I can't do. The father took the creative power of his word and he just inserted peace on the inside of Josiah's heart. He gave it to him. And he can eat off of that peace if he'll agree with it. Beyond his circumstances, in spite of everything, if he'll agree with it, he can eat off of that real presence of peace for days, weeks, months, however long he needs it. You understand how that works? That's how God works. He sows the seed of his word. So this is the this system of seed time and harvest is powerful. It's how God does everything. I'm gonna show it to you in the Word. So turn to Genesis. Some of you are already there. Genesis chapter one. Genesis 1, I'll go back to verse uh, 27, God created mankind in His own image, and you're probably going to see it in the NLT or a different version up here, but God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female He created them, God blessed them and said to them, what? Say it out loud. Be Be fruitful and what? Yeah, multiply or increase in number. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it or govern it. So the beginning of filling the earth and actually governing the earth to do our job as humanity, as the representatives, the ambassadors of Almighty God in the earth, to agree with what He says and then implement it here in this domain... The very first thing that we have to do—it's the very first thing he said to mankind—was what? How does it all start? What's the very? What was it? Be fruitful. Now that's the fun part for people. That'll dawn on you here in about ten seconds. (laughs) The be fruitful part is is great. It's the multiplying and the toys and the bikes. And the fingerprints all over everything, which are great, but it's all the life that starts to happen, right? And it life is messy; it gets all over the place. There's a proverb that says, "You know, uh, the barn is clean when there's no ox, but with with the dirty messiness that comes from the ox, there's great what? There's great increase, great strength. And so the very first command is be fruitful. Be fruitful. Man was designed to put his seed into a dark place and that seed to be incubated and then to be birthed, to come to harvest, to come to fruition. It's how all of us got here, literally. It's the Father's heart. It's His way. And then in Genesis 3, verse 15... God addresses the serpent as the originator of the lie that caused the brokenness in the garden that tempted Eve and deceived her. And He says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, what's the other word for offspring, between your seed and her seed, And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So here we have the first prophecy of Scripture. And God's not just talking to a snake about he's going to get his head thumped by a man one day. God is speaking to the serpent of old, the father of lies, that there is coming a seed, a single seed, from the seed of the woman, There's coming a seed, a man, and you're going to strike his heel. Everybody touch your heel. I just want you to try this. Touch your heel. My brother just sent a picture. They were out walking through the deer lease, going to the the tree stand. And uh, he felt a bump on his heel. Thank goodness he had his snake boots on. Looked down, and there was a diamondback. A good one. And that's, I think, the second or third time that's happened. They like to do that at five o'clock in the morning when you're messing with their sleep or whatever they're eating. They're digesting that mouse, whatever they're doing. They don't like to be messed with. That thing struck them on the heel. Now, he's going to strike the seed, the enemy's seed. The lie is going to strike on Jesus' heel. But what's going to happen to the serpent? It's the heel that's going to do what? Crush him on the head. The same place that Satan did his best to destroy Jesus and bit him at the cross is the same place that God brought his heel down on Satan's head. And when Satan did his absolute worst to Jesus, God was doing his best for mankind. God took the very thing that Satan meant To bring the whole system down, see, Satan thought he could cheat God's eternal system of seed, time, and harvest. He thought he could come in and interrupt it. But see, you you can't outplay God. My dad has always said this, God plays 11-dimensional chess. (laughs) And there's like 11 dimensions, right? And the seed crushed him. And then we see this in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis 8. Noah's coming out of the, the ark with his family. There's been worldwide devastation by the flood. All, all of creation has perished except what was on the ark. And it, the text says in Genesis 8 that God, when he when He smells the aroma of Noah's sacrifice after they get off the ark... He promises, of course, not to flood the earth again, but he says in his heart, this in verse 22, as long as the earth endures, what? Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So I don't care what apocalyptic end of the world movie Will Smith stars in, (laughs) seed time And harvest never stops. Some of you might be a little concerned about the environment, and we should be. We should take care of our planet. But summer and winter are going to keep going. This planet's not going to get too hot or get too cold. God promised that as long as the earth is here, seed time and harvest is going to continue And everything that supports seed time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter, hot and cold, all of it is going to continue to operate so that seed, time, and harvest can continue. Why? Because he wove the DNA of seed, time, and harvest into the base code of all of creation. And it's how he does everything. He can't not operate in seed time and harvest because that's his nature, it's his character. Do you realize how much patience it takes to commit yourself to that kind of process? Do you realize how much humility it takes for the God of the universe to to be willing to do everything through a seed? If you and I were God, we would never do it that way. We would show up with jazz hands. Hey, I'm here. I'm sure, I'm sure that Mary probably had some second thoughts. This baby is so small. We are so poor we can't even afford a sacrifice when we go to the temple, hardly, except maybe a couple pigeons. We live in the smallest backwoods of Israel, and we nobody really knows about us, and we belong to a country that's under the boot of Rome. Wow. Well, how in the world is God going to do what he said he's going to do through this little thing right here? But see, the God of all the universe has committed himself to seed and then time and then harvest. It will come. It will come. But the enemy loves to come and whisper, see God's God's not faithful. We sang it this morning. He's faithful, but the enemy comes and whispers, see God said that, but He's not good, he's not faithful, he he's late. Something went wrong, it ain't gonna happen. You might as well just move on. Too little, too late, too insignificant, too small. Your gift is not needed here. Nobody notices. That that nine to five job that you're working as a single mom, trying to pay the bills that you don't even want to do, and your boss yells at you, and your coworkers are just crazy. But see, you go to plant a seed. See, when you know about seed, time, and harvest, every little thing in your life matters. And I want to show it to you. Isaiah 55, 9 through 11 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down... From heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So what did God do? He just connected natural seed time and harvest of agriculture with His very word. What's He saying? I've given you the picture of what this looks like in your daily life. Those of you that plant gardens, those of you that, that have babies, you have it in your natural life, what seed time and harvest looks like, and it comes from me, and I will do the same, and I will not fail. You know, we planted potatoes, and I don't know what it was in the ground out there, but there was little worms. I don't know what they're called. They're demons that were in the ground out in Cedar Hill. <laughs> they were like little weevils, devils, whatever they were, they ate like 70% of our new potatoes. Oh, that stunk. You know, you see this huge green plant come up, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get some mashed potatoes tonight. And then you pull it up and there's just holes in everything. But guess what? God's Word is worm resistant. <laughs> it always comes up. We have to agree with it. We have to incubate it. The wisest thing you can do is agree with God's Word. So Jesus comes as the ultimate seed. John 3.16, what does it say? You can say it out loud. Just pretend we're in a living room here. Right. God so loved the world that He gave what? One. One. He gave his one seed and he planted it in the soil of this earth. Not just figuratively. See, Jesus had something that we all have, a body, a will, a life, blood. But his was perfect But he still had to lay it in the ground, just like a seed. See, what you see around you in nature is a prophetic picture of the way God works. So here comes Jesus to fulfill the picture of seed, time, and harvest. And the disciples are thinking, oh, finally, the Messiah has come. We're going to take over Rome, and we get to finally win. We don't have to be bossed around by these centurions and these soldiers anymore because the Messiah was going to come as the king and he was going to set Israel free and the Jews free from their oppressors. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 guys, we got to do this the Father's way. See, the Father does everything through seed, time, and harvest, and he hasn't planted his seed yet. Hold on a second. Peter goes, you can't die. (laughs) See, we don't like seed, time, and harvest. Because we wanted our way. So Jesus puts his body in the ground and the disciples are going, What what do we do? What do we do? What just happened? What just happened? But then three days later, what happens? The first fruits up out of the ground. <laughs> Here comes the first little piece. Jesus comes up out of the ground. And they begin to realize the power of seed, time, and harvest. When you grow a garden and stuff comes up, when you see that baby come out of the womb, here's what God is saying to you. There's coming a day when all the seed that you've put in the ground and even your very body... This summer, John and Leslie Stewart are sitting back here with Camden and Renner, their boys. And we put John's brother in the ground. Jason, and I worked with him for a long time. We were all really close. We loved this man. And it hurts. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you, I know that there's at least one one woman in this place that you lost a baby. And it was even by your choice at the time because you were scared. And the enemy wants to accuse you. But here's the hope that we have because Jesus came up out of the ground. Every seed that has been sowed, everything that has died in your life, if you will give it to Him, if you will let the blood of the only Son, the true seed of heaven, cover you and redeem that seed, it will come back up. There is a day coming when you will rise again. The prophecy is that there is a resurrection. And Jesus is the first fruits and we will rise again. That's where we're headed. That's the whole picture. <clears throat> we're going to see Jason again, and it's going to be a good day. We're going to see a lot of people again. But here's what the enemy says, Second Peter 3, here's the lie, scoffers will come in the last days. If you're reading the news, you know we're in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Skip down to verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day, and the Lord is not slow. Now, is the Lord kind of slow sometimes? That's not a great word. The word is actually slack or tardy. Now, I don't know about you, but when we were in school... And we were late to class, we got what? We were counted as what? Tardy. Tardy. Why? Because the bell had rung. There was an appointed time for something to happen and we weren't there. See, God is never missing at the appointed time. He might walk slow through the hall on the way to class, but he will be there when the bell rings. He's not slow or slack or tardy concerning His promise, as some count slowness. This is why it's so important to hear His voice, to read His word, get His promises, because He will fulfill those. Not all of our expectations, but He will fulfill His promises. As some count slowness, but as patient towards us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What is God being so slow about? Why is all this taking so long? Why has he planted himself and come up as the first fruits, but now 2,000 years later, nothing has happened? The Bible says in the last days, many will begin to become offended at God because he seems like he's not going to do what he promised. Many in the church, because of the compromise of sin and falling asleep and being dull in their spirit, not exercising their faith, are going to look at the slow, what appears to be the slowness of God in time, not to fulfill His promise, to bring this all to its conclusion. And they're going to conclude in their own pride, this isn't even going to happen. Some people just get exhausted like my sister. This, this, is, this isn't even going to happen. No, I can tell you it's going to happen. Read the news. It's going to happen. This earth is pregnant and groaning groaning with labor pains. It's going to happen, but it's going to take longer than we think. And it's probably going to hurt a little more than we think. But God will do everything He said He will do. But what's He waiting for? Why the slowness? This is real clear. Seed, time, and what's He waiting for? The appointed time for harvest. And this is where we are. This is what he's waiting for. This is why seed and time matter, because God wants people. God wants the souls of the people sitting next to you. He wants yours. He wants your life. He wants your heart. He wants your love. God wants the city of Lucas. He wants the people that live in this city to know him, to come to him. And he wants to give them time so that they can hear from you about him. This is why we're having a block party. And it's fun too. James 5 says this, verse 7, Therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Now he's making a distinction between you and the farmer. Who's the farmer? Not a trick question. Who's the farmer? Who plants everything? Who's the big guy? Okay. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. I love it. People always come up to me and say, don't do that. We all think you're asking a trick question and nobody wants to get in trouble. Nobody wants to be wrong. Yeah, God's the farmer. You also be patient, establish your hearts, meaning what? Act like the farmer. Think like the farmer. Get into his place. Get with him. Get his perspective. Get his heart. Know why it's taking the time it's taking and get excited about what he's excited about. The longer this takes, the more we get. The longer this takes, the bigger the harvest is going to be. Yeah. Maybe it'll be twins. (laughs) Sarah probably would have... Totally slap me if I said that to her. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So here's... We're going to get halfway through our notes today. I really wanted to, to go into Luke 16 and show you guys what it looks like to leverage natural resources of money and time and talent And all the things in your life, like this manager that got rebuked because he was wasting his master's resources, but he had to transition to a place where he realized, I've got to do something because I'm about to lose my job. And he pivoted and repented and he began to use his resources to make a place for him in the future. He quit thinking temporary and began to think eternal. God wants us to think eternal. Not just, what do I use my money for here? How do I do this? i got to manage my time and my kids. And No, God wants you to see souls. He wants you to see people and leverage natural money and natural things and natural time and natural job and your car. He wants you to steward all of that and leverage it to pop people up into the kingdom all around you. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. The car doesn't matter. The job doesn't matter. The money is nothing. The money is just a tool. The money is just seed. To bring people to Him, your family, your kids, your spouse. All the resources in your life are simply, they're His, anyways. But if I'm spending it on myself and not sowing it as seed to get more souls, then I I lose it in the end. I have nothing to welcome me into eternity, I have no rewards. See, Jesus is after the harvest, He's after the people. This is all about people. This is all about souls. This is about the people who live in Lucas. And you can go read Luke 16 and Luke 19. It's two sister parables that go hand in hand that deal with all of this. And it's proof of seed time and harvest and what Jesus expects of us and how he wants us to act wisely in our day, in our generation of selfishness. But I want to show you this. This is key. Where are we at right now and where are we headed Where's God trying to get us to and I want to read this out of Psalm 110. I'm going to read this and then we're going to close. Because there's there's probably a decent percentage of us in this room that we read the headlines in the news and a little bit of fear, a concern, concern for money, resources, am I going to be able to buy Christmas toys this year? I'm not really concerned about that. My kids could definitely use a Christmas without toys. Is that? I'm glad. Katie would get really mad if she heard me say that. <laughs> She's going to see it later. <laughs> Psalm 110. I want you to be encouraged this morning with where God's taking this. David's overhearing a conversation in heaven in the Godhead. And it starts this way, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, says to my Lord, lowercase L-O-R-D, that's Adonai. Yahweh says to Adonai, this is the Father speaking to His Son, the Messiah, His chosen anointed one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jesus has ascended after His resurrection. He's ascended with His blood, and He's set it before the Father. He's made atonement for the whole earth, all sin, past, present, and future. And now the Father says this, good job, son. Now sit down and let me do it. Let me make it happen. I'm going to show you all of your enemies. I'm going to put them under the callus under your heels. And you're going to rest your feet on the nations. And, I, you know, I, we've all watched enough Disney movies. Well, how does that happen? Well, you just at the end of the movie, you wave the magic wand and everything happens. How's that going to happen? How is the Father going to make all of the nations surrender to Jesus? How's that going to happen? He's just supposed to sit down and let it all happen? Well, what do you do when you plant seed? What do you do? Do you sit there over it and fret and go, oh, I hope it comes up? Do you wait up all night after you've planted a, a tomato seed and stress about whether or not it's going to come up? Why? Can you make that thing grow? No. Can you make it bear fruit? No. The, Jesus actually taught a parable. The farmer goes to bed. He puts it in the ground. He goes to bed. And guess what? It comes up all on its own. Why? Because God put it in the seed to do that. God makes it grow. That's the simple answer. So God does it, but how does He do it? Seed, time, and harvest. He says in verse 2, "...the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying..." Notice He says, He releases His word, "...rule in the midst of your enemies." And at the end, in verse 5, He says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of His wrath and judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. This is where we're headed. Jesus is going to break the clouds, set His feet on on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split. He's going to walk into Jerusalem and set up His headquarters on the earth, and He's going to bring the rule of heaven to earth for a thousand years. That's what the Bible says. I believe it. But here's where we're at today. Are we there yet? Are we there? Are we at that day? No, here's the day we're at right now is Psalm 2. Jesus hears some more conversation in heaven. And he asked this question. David hears another conversation in heaven. He asked this question, Why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So the very thing that God has designed to set man free, which is His word, His way, His precepts, His his instructions, His wisdom. How many of you have found that discipline is the key to success in your life? Can you just go to bed anytime you want? Can you just do whatever you want with your money? Can you just let your kids eat whatever they want, run wherever they want, and can you just do whatever you want? No. It takes restraint and discipline and wisdom and planning to succeed, doesn't it? God has ways, but it takes discipline. And the nations don't want to do it God's way. They want to do it their own way. Leaders of nations say, I don't want to be told what to do. Anybody here like being told what to do? I don't want to be told what to do. And so the Bible says that the very thing that God's given, His Word, His ways, the nations view as chains and shackles to keep them from where they want to be. That's so ironic because where they're headed is their own destruction. They've got it all flipped. And the one enthroned in heaven laughs. So God is seated. He doesn't even stand up to address it. He just simply laughs. Why? Because he's already planted his seed. He's already, this thing's already happening. And the nations are raging like tidal waves in the ocean, freaking out. We don't want your ways, but God's ways are moving like a freight train through time and history. He laughs and he scoffs, and he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king. The day that Jesus died on the cross, the Father installed his king. The day that he came up out of the grave, he was already installed. He was already king. He had already won the victory. He put the enemy on display as having been defeated, and he atoned for sin. And Jesus that day was already he already had the right to rule the entire earth. But see, he's not he's not back yet. He's not here yet. Here's what the Father says to him. Look at verse eight. Jesus, just ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. And then David gives this warning to the kings of the earth. This is for today. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he'll be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. His wrath can flare up in a moment and blessed are all who take refuge in him. How is the father going to take us from... The nation's raging where we are right now in history. How many of you would agree our nation is raging? It's burning. It's raging. Our education system is on fire. Our law enforcement, people are walking out in, in, in masses, discouraged, disappointed, depressed, hurt. There's violence and chaos. It's not just in our nation, but it's around the world. In fact, the whole world is raging right now. And we're at a place in, a, in the cycle of history where the nations are raging. But see, God has a plan. And through seed, time, and harvest, He will execute His plan. And it'll take longer than we want it to take. And it might hurt a little bit more than we want it to hurt. But He will do it Completely. And he's going to have everything he's after. So here's what I want to say: to you. you guys stand up. I want to have the worship team come up. How many of you have a promise from the Father? It could be it could be in your business. It could be uh, career related. It could be your family, uh, uh, an adult son or daughter who has left home and run and is just lost as a goose in a fog. It could be um, health-related. If you're in here and you're not able to have children and you know that the Father has spoken to you about even the name of the child that you're going to have, but you're getting older and it's looking, man, this is, does not look good. Whatever it is, and it hasn't happened yet. And you're, you're sitting there holding this thing and you're desperately wanting to agree with God, but everything in the natural says it ain't going to happen. It's too late. It's over. Or the gift that God put in you is just not enough. There's, there's lots of other people way more talented than you. Or there's lots of other people that are way more successful or that have more than you. So why even try? Why, why even plant your seed? Don't go back there and work with those kids and our old kids. Nobody'll know you're back there. They'll just throw up on you. You'll have to clean up something yucky. And then you'll go home exhausted. Nobody cares. Those kids don't even really know what you're saying, anyways. Don't plant your seed back there. It doesn't even matter. You're not good with kids, anyways. No, really, and if you're really truly not good with kids, we can talk. <laughs> But are you with me? Are you guys with me? Are you hearing what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying? If that's you, here's what we're going to do. See, Satan is a liar and he wants to take your seed. But Jesus said the smallest little seed, the little mustard seed, it's the smallest It's the most insignificant of the garden plants, yet when it is planted, it comes up and it's the largest, larger than all the green herbs, and the birds of the air even come and land on its branches. I don't care how small your seed is. It does not matter. Jesus said, if you give a little cup of water to one of these little ones, I will reward you. You say, but I don't, I, there's nothing I can do. I don't know how to do much and I'm not really good at much. Can you hold a cup of water and give it to somebody who's thirsty? Because that's a seed and Jesus will, will reward you. He sees it, it matters to him. And you don't know where that will lead. I sat in a park in Belarus in 1998 and trembling told a young man of 16 about Jesus. And in my mind, I was thinking at the time as 17 years of age, I don't even really know what I'm saying right now. This kid can barely speak English. This is ridiculous, but I told him anyways. We wrote letters back and forth for a few years, then we lost contact. And 10 years later, he emailed me. Is this Ben Watts? It may not be. If not, you can delete this email. But if this is you... That day in the park, I gave my heart to Jesus. Never heard of him before. He said, something you said, I knew in my gut it was true. So I found a church in Belarus. We were in Minsk. And he said, I found a church. And he said, I'm married now. And I'm a missionary to the United States Campus Crusade for Christ. And I have two kids and I just want you to know that day mattered. It changed my life. I thought, this is so insignificant. He doesn't even know what I'm saying. I don't even remember what I said. But see, God gave the seed growth. It doesn't have to be much. Family, it just has to be enough. And you have to be willing to say yes to stick it in the ground and let God do something with it. It's his anyways. Satan is a seed thief. He wants to steal it from you any way he can because he's terrified of God's eternal system of government of seed, time, and harvest. He knows a little baby can change the world. He knows five loaves and two fish can feed thousands of people. He's seen it. He saw spit and mud heal a blind man's eyes through faith. He's terrified of little ordinary seed that goes into the ground in agreement with God because he knows it changes everything. He knows a little spark leads to a whole forest fire. But we don't always know that. We don't always believe that. And we discredit it because it's small. But see, God said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Did you know you don't even have to know that you're pregnant to be pregnant? There's a woman in this room right now who's pregnant. You don't even know it. You could be depressed thinking it'll never happen and you're still pregnant. God doesn't care. Life will find a way. God will find a way. He will bless you even if you lose hope. Why? Because He's good and because He will honor His system of seed, time, and harvest church let's agree with what he says about every gift every talent all of your time all of your money Monday through Saturday today is a great day it's a day of celebration to be together with family but it's Monday through Saturday that you're sowing the most seed from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and even when you're asleep you can be sowing seeds of truth sowing seeds of your testimony sowing seeds of service and love I'm going to ask the prayer team.